0: and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com.
1: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice. Dark Dice
2: The, uh, Shambler with the jar of
1: liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined
0: our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. This episode of the Dungeon Cast is brought to you by the 20-Sided Tavern. The newest interactive theatrical adventure experience is the 20-sided tavern, inspired by dungeons, dragons, and so much more. Sold out engagements in Pittsburgh, New York, Edinburgh, and now they're even in Chicago. Through January 15th, only at the Broadway Playhouse at Water Tower Place. A unique journey that's never the same quest twice due to audience participation and interaction. It's a different ending every time. Use your mobile phone during the show to make selections, compete in games, solve riddles and puzzles, and determine the hero's fate. The Chicago Tribune says it's a new family-friendly franchise that celebrates fantasy gaming. The audience has a total blast, clearly authentic and fun. For showtimes and tickets, visit broadwayandchicago.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm William. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons.
2: And today we are covering Dragonlands. Welcome to
0: the
1: Dungeon Cast.
0: Hey Brian. Hey, Will. How are you doing today? I'm ready to lance some fucking dragons (laughs) right in their gullets. That does happen in
2: this setting, believe it or not. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's
0: why we called it that. We're just stabbing fucking big lizards.
2: Indeed. So our patrons over on Patreon have voted, and December's patron pick is the entire setting of Dragonlance. Mm, Uh, Very good. Yes. D&D just came out with the new setting sourcebook, Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen, and if you haven't picked up... Uh, the book yet, because you aren't familiar with the setting, Uh, well, today we are going to give you a full primer on everything Dragonlance, so maybe it'll change your mind. Yeah, this is
0: cool. Um, People seem to like these episodes where we're talking about, like, planar stuff, setting stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And honestly,
2: there's a lot to talk about, so... This
0: book coming out, I mean, it looks a lot more hype than I've been led to believe it may be.
2: Yeah, I'm really unsure. I think I... Well, I don't want to get into spoilers, but I was curious... One of the things I was curious about was, is this book going to be set after... Like, are we going to like progress the timeline forward in Dragonlance mm. or is it going to be set somewhere in one of the time periods? And it looks like it's set in the time period called the War of the Lance. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Because the history of unsure. Dragonlance is long and storied, lots yeah, of books and stuff. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that story today. Yes. <laughs> so this is a setting that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I read many Dragonlance novels as a kid. It, it introduced me to high fantasy adventure alongside things like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Uh, Wizards, dragons, gods, knights, and a group of companions with deep bonds setting out to do what needs to be done against all odds. Uh, My love of D&D started here with Dragonlance. Um... uh Even though at the time I didn't realize those books were tied to D&D in any way. And as a seven-year-old kid, I'd never even heard of D&D, didn't know what it was. Right. Um, I thought that these were simply really good fantasy novels. Many of the stories and characters from this setting left a huge impression on my own style of writing and my view of fantasy. Uh, Some of the novels of the series were the first books to make little seven, eight-year-old William uh, laugh out loud, gasp in shock or excitement and even cry. Uh, These were the books that showed me that sometimes the heroes in the stories can lose and sometimes they even die. Uh, reading many of these novels now I can see their flaws and I can see how a modern reader may find them terribly tropey or even derivative Uh, but to child William these books took me to another world and showed me things beyond my imagination Uh, I love this setting and remember it very fondly, and hopefully by the time we finish today's overview, you will see why.
0: That's cool. I never stumbled across a series of books quite like that um, in my youthful reading. I read Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Like I read a lot more when I was younger than I do now, and that's not to say that I don't read now. It's not as frequent, and mostly it's for my job, Yeah. but I I do read a lot. It's just (laughs) not the things I would choose to read given my own devices, but Uh, the first thing I kind of came across was The Dark Tower, which I've talked a lot about on the show, and even Right, absolutely and yeah. it's
2: pertinent it's pertinent
0: yeah pertinent. and it is fantasy and, yeah. and like that was the first like big adventure story i ever read
2: really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um
0: yeah but n- like in my childhood i never came across like anything like this it's kind yeah, of my, interesting harry so my, potter yeah so sure i mean closer. that was
2: a little bit later in my childhood but yeah. my dad's big on reading fantasy and so he, we just had a bunch of fantasy yeah, books in the cool. house that's cool
0: that's cool my these dad were the was, first ones i read my yeah dad was reading like john clancy
2: yeah he was big yeah big stuff a lot of that but super not fantasy my mom was
0: reading romance novels all the time I was like not interested in that (laughs) for sure so,
2: so originally Dragonlance was a shared universe created by Laura and Tracy Hickman Uh, You may recognize uh, Tracy Hickman's name. He is also the guy who came up with the Ravenloft setting. Oh,
0: nice. Um, Kudos, Tracy.
2: Mm -hmm. And expanded by Tracy Hickman and Margaret Wise under the direction of TSR. Margaret Wise is a really big deal. She is like the prime writer behind most of the core Dragonlance books, with Tracy Hickman as like the the secondary writer. I see. Even though he came up with the setting, so... Um, but anyways, the Hickmans conceived uh, the Dragonlance uh, set as a D&D setting while driving in their car on, a, on the way to TSR for a job interview. Later on, Tracy Hickman met his future writing partner, Margaret Wise, at TSR, and they gathered a group of associates to play D&D in the setting. The adventures they ran during that game inspired a series of gaming modules, a series of novels, licensed products such as board games, and more. I understand it's not all good blood over at TSR, right? So TSR was, oh, fuck I can't remember the history exactly, but I know that was Gygax's company and then mm-hmm. eventually he lost control of the company and the company was bought out by Wizards of the Coast later on. So yeah, yeah the, lo-
0: I kind of vaguely remember us talking about it with uh, Mr. Salvatore a little bit about how there was some drama. Back yeah, the there, there was a
2: lot of business drama back then, yeah. but we're not here to talk about no, that. No, 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 no. <laughs> in 1984, TSR published the first Dragonlance game module, Dragons of Despair, and the first novel, Dragons of Autumn Twilight. That was the first book that I read. Um, the novel began the Chronicles trilogy, a core element of the Dragonlance world, while the authoring team of Tracy Hickman and Margaret Wise wrote the setting's central books. Numerous other writers contributed novels, short stories, and game supplements to the setting. Over 190 short stories and game supplements, or over 190 novels, have used the Dragonlance setting. The Dragonlance campaign setting has also been published in multiple editions of Judges of Dragons. Okay. it's a lot. So, mm-hmm. so Dragonlance is set in the world of Crin. Uh, a world with three moons, large oceans, many islands, and five continents. The majority of the novels and adventure modules take place in the various regions of the continent of Anselon, a small continent in the southern hemisphere. Actually, it's a pretty large continent. I don't know where I wrote small. Uh, <laughs> there are bigger continents, but honestly, we don't know a lot about them anyways. Okay. Uh, this is like the Sword Coast for Forgotten Realms. Sure. Uh, the world is huge, but this is where most of the stuff we're in about happens. Uh, at first glance, Kryn slash Dragonlance are a classic, almost generic D&D world. Uh, medieval type setting, knights, dragons, gods, etc. But there are subtleties and differences I think will make uh, apparent what sets Dragonlance apart from, say, Forgotten Realms as we go along. Okay. I'm so ready let's, to learn those. Yeah. So let's talk about the unique elements of the Dragonlance setting that really define it. The first things that someone thinks when they hear the name Dragonlance, starting yeah. with the gods. Okay. So Dragonlance has a unique pantheon not shared with any other DD universe. And they're vital to understanding the setting because very kind to of Greek or North Norse mythos, Dragonlance deities are all up in the business of their world <laughs> and the people who live there. Cool. And much like those real world mythoses, very few stories in Dragonlance do not heavily feature the gods. Uh we aren't going to cover every deity, just the big three. All right. So first up is Paladine. Ah. So Paladine is the eldest of the three sibling deities we're talking about today. He represents guardianship, light, law, redemption, and good dragons. He supports the soul's drive to strive for greatness and the ideal of redemption, striving to bring those who have fallen to darkness back into the light. This is the Bahamut. This is the Bahamut. Uh, yeah, we've, analog. we've we've touched on a lot of Dragonlance stuff lightly here and yeah, there. So yeah. some of this stuff is ringing a bell to me. Definitely, definitely, and I'm sure more will. Mm-hmm. Paladine's most impressive and potent form is that of the Platinum Dragon, <laughs> which is as his most icon, which as his most iconic symbol is depicted in the form of statues and in tapestries and murals across Crin space. However, Paladine prefers less ostentatious and obvious forms, favoring rotund balding priests, ancient yet spry knights in antiquated armor or On occasion, a bumbling, absent minded wizard, much beloved of Kender, named Fizban. Indeed, <laughs> you got it. It was
0: weird not just kind of doing it, and not calling out after. It yeah, was, was I guess that's up. true. <laughs> but yeah, this is cool that this is Fizban. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I like how he's just gonna fry or tuck your
2: ass, kind of, you know, like, yeah, like- <laughs> Paladine is very humble mm-hmm. despite being like super almighty and powerful, yeah, um, and buoyant. Yes, he's, every every one of these forms sound, sounds buoyant. Yes, he's very he he has a, a, a fun buoyant like energy uh, energy to him. Yeah. Uh, Fizban actually goes by the name of Fizban the Fabulous. Fizban, so. yes, yes. <laughs> so Paladine is patron of the Knights of Salamnia. He is also the highest deity of the Elves, who refer to him as, as Elie. Uh, Paladine is husband to Mashakel, goddess of healing, restoration, compassion, and love. He is father to the deities Kirijolith, Habakuk, and Solonari, and he is opposed to all the gods of evil, but especially his sister Tanquesis. Or so I, I don't. I don't prefer this. This is my
0: wife, Mich- my shackle. <laughs> wow.
2: My <laughs> shackles one of the coolest deities in Dragonlance. Don't well, you? you know, dare, Jager. Sounds like somebody's making a statement. That's
0: hilarious.
2: <laughs> I will have you know that these books were written by a woman. I'm happily married. I don't, I don't view things like that. So, so next up, we have Galen. Okay. Uh, the middle sibling of the three and the chief deity of the gods of neutrality and god of balance, knowledge, learning, watchfulness, and freedom. Galen is an observer, appearing passionless and uncaring, but is the primary proponent of free will. He encourages mortals to grow through knowledge in all of its forms without judgment or constraint. Galen assumes many forms, though typically he appears as a gray-clad scholar or sage, either young and timeless or old and white. And carrying a heavy book, he also appears as a slender rogue with numerous lockpicks and keys, as a middle-aged warrior in armor with graying hair, or as a grim, capable-looking field commander or general. Uh, Galen has only one child, the goddess Lunatari, who sprang fully formed from him. Galen's clerics act as scribes, librarians, and historians. And no cleric of Galen may ever destroy a book, no matter its contents.
0: I always like when gods just kind of spawn shit out of themselves. Like I'm your mom and your dad yeah sort of sort of this is your mom (laughs)
2: yeah last up we have Takesis the youngest of the three siblings known as the queen of darkness she is the goddess of domination tyranny hatred darkness and evil dragons her greatest form is that of the many headed dragon which incorporates five heads one for each chromatic dragon clan Uh, However, Takesis rarely invests this much power into one of her manifestations without it being part of a larger plot to conquer the world. She usually prefers the appearance of one of her other forms, including that of a dark warrior, a menacing figure clad from head to toe in midnight black scale armor, or the temptress, a darkly seductive woman in silken robes and a jeweled headdress.
0: This is new to me. What is this? Just kidding. It's Tiamat. It's Tiamat. A.K.A. Tiamat. (laughs) A.K.A.
2: Tiamat. (laughs) I will say she is less nasty in this... (laughs) uh setting than she is in most of our other sets. that's good because
0: she's fucking gross <laughs> yeah i do not like tiamat's downtime <laughs> i'd rather tiamat just be fucking attacking shit
2: yeah sure so uh <laughs> is the head of the evil gods uh concert to Sargonus, god of vengeance conquest strength war and rage and mother to the deities zeboim and new atari um you'll notice as we keep going through this that like This setting really leans into the moral aspects of the alignment chart and not very much into the law and versus chaos thing. Okay. Like good is a power, evil is a power, and neutrality is a power, and they are always vying and the balance is always trying to be maintained between the three. Interesting. So next up, we have dragons in Dragonlance. Um, They're very similar to your average D&D dragon with a few exceptions. One, they're far more prolific. They tend to live in hidden conclaves away from civilization, but they're far more common than how D&D usually presents dragons. Yeah. Uh, Second, they are super on the sides of their parent deities. Uh, in most settings, chromatics and metallics will side with Bahamut or Tiamat philosophically most of the time, but few are truly zealous for the deity's cause, and most do their own thing. And mm-hmm. Dragonlance, Paladine, and Takisis have personal relationships with most of their children, and the war of the parent is also the war of the child.
0: I see. So if God stumbles upon you,
2: they know your first name and, like, yeah, exactly. They, they know That's what exactly you like right. for breakfast. And you see some of that happen in some of the books. Uh, mostly with Fizban, because obviously like, Fizban. he's going to be on the side of the hero so you kind of see him. And you see him interact with some really ancient dragons in a very familiar way. Okay. Um, okay, now it's time to talk about magic. So although it works in many similar ways to classic D&D, magic it is also quite different. Uh, there are three gods of magic in Kryn, Solinari Lunatari, and Nutari They are cousins, each a child of one of the chief deities, and they each manifest physically as the three moons of Kryn. Uh, these three are very close to each other and almost always side with each other and the good of magic rather than their allegiances to good or evil. Okay, so also magic. So you have Solonari, the, the god of good magic, Lunatari, the goddess of neutral magic. Oh, and I see. It's just mirrored once yes, more here and, and then and another layer, exactly. the magic realm. Right.
0: Don't these sound like the OG bionicle names?
2: I never read those books, so I don't know. They're just Legos. Oh, is it the, was that a show then? Or was it a book? It was like, like a series of Legos that came out. They made shows out of it too. Never never case. got into any of it, so I'm not familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but I believe you. <laughs> Strangely, magic is divided into three categories, each under the purview of one of the gods of magic. Solinari is a god of good magic in the order of the white robe wizards. Lunatari is goddess of neutral magic in the order of red robes. Nutari is a god of evil magic in order of the black robes. Each moon is the respective color of their origin. Uh, because of this, many on Crane are unaware that new Atari even exists as he's invisible against the night sky. Cool. Only wizards of the Black Order can see him. That's fucking cool. It's yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so real quick, what's the difference between good, neutral, and evil magic?, uh, this is never clearly defined in any of the novels. <laughs> Magic itself is treated with an almost Tolkien-esque style of mystery. Okay. So none of it is super well-defined, at least from any of my readings. Uh, but based off my knowledge, this is how I have interpreted it. Good magic tends to be abjuration and divination magic with some limited evocation of radiant healing spells and some conjuration. Evil magic tends to be destructive evocation magic as well as necromancy and some enchantment and illusion. Yeah. And neutral magic seems to fit somewhere in between that. Uh, A red wizard can use magic from across the board, but not any of the higher level spells on either side.
0: I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So another odd thing is there is a power ceiling for each wizard type built into the lore. So it is said that the quickest path to power is... Uh, that of the order of black robes, but that no order has the highest potential of power than that of the order of the white robes. some jedi shit going on kind of yeah Sith lord jedi yeah shit. I, it's probably inspired i see so now we're about to go on a tangent uh with the final fantasy <laughs> video game series what episode of the dungeon cast would be complete without it <laughs> really
0: where's fourth edition
2: We're getting (laughs) into that. I don't think that's going to come up this episode, but we'll see. It might. Is your phone out? I want to hear that shit when it goes off. I'm sure it'll go off again. (laughs) Uh, So for the for those who don't know the Final Fantasy series, it's heavily inspired by D and D, especially in the first five games of the series. And I would bet all of my money. And I uh, I have that... uh, I would bet all the money I have, specifically the creators, were inspired by the Dragonlance setting. Okay. Uh, There are a ton of parallels to this specific setting. Firstly, with the prominence of both Bahamut and Tiamat through the entire series of Final Fantasy. True. Uh, You have to remember that Bahamut and Tiamat are popular deities nowadays, but prior to Dragonlance, they've always been a footnote compared to the other deities. But Dragonlance pushed them to the top of the food chain in their worlds. Cool. Uh, Secondly... Magic and the idea of wizards in the early games of Final Fantasy are almost identical to Wizards of Dragonlance. There are white, red, and black mages. Whites do healing and buffing. Blacks do elemental damage, death, and negative effect spells. And reds can do both but do not have access to the higher spells of either. Mm. Also, usually Black Wizards start off very powerful in Final Fantasy games, but by the end of the game, their damage really falls off. But White Mages, who start off as heals-only casters, have better magic-based stats and by end game, are at the peak of their abilities. Okay. So that, that tracks again with Dragonlance. Yeah. So that's just my theory. I don't know if it's true, but like the parallels are so strong, I'm like, it's got to be inspired because no other D&D settings like that. But anyways, moving yeah. on. <laughs> Anyways, back to Dragonlance. The last thing I will add about magic in this setting that stands out as different is there, a, there is an addictive quality to it, and uh, it seems to be more difficult to cast in this world. So, when a mage wishes to cast a spell, they have to prepare it. Uh, this means that they must study the incantation profusely. Every single syllable, every hand gesture, every component must be 100% perfectly executed, or the spell can go terribly wrong. Oh, gosh. And, and wh- not
0: that it just won't work, that it might, like, it might explode. It might blow up
2: in your face. Like, yeah. a lot of mages die early in apprenticeship. Ooh. Um, and once a spell is cast, every bit of the knowledge of how to cast that spell disappears from the mage's mind. It can only be cast again with intense study.
0: Oh, yeah. I, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, too. That's
2: crazy. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's
0: crazy hard to get to that point. And it, then it's, it's just... just- fucking gone
2: right exactly right the flip side of this is magic is an intoxicating experience for a mage when in the throes of spellcasting a mage is filled with vibrant energy giving them heightened senses sensations of life and a feeling of joyous euphoria the more powerful the spell the more powerful the effect newer mages and mages uh, casting spells in higher slots Can be left trembling in ecstasy Followed by a violent comedown Oh god Yeah Now imagine dealing with both of these aspects of casting The Yeah The You gotta get it perfect Or it'll blow up in your face Also it's gonna be like A crazy drug experience And you're in the middle of combat Like Yeah Yeah Mages and Dragonlance uh, Have an extremely powerful will In order to stay alive That's crazy Yeah it's This great, is so, insane Yeah so, next, let's talk about the Knights of Salamnia, as they are a mainstay of the setting. The Knights of Salamnia stand as the greatest order of chivalry in all of Ancelon. They are the most organized and formidable force against the forces of Takesis and are dedicated to the protection of Salamnia and Ancelon, uh, service to the good gods, and above all, to the ideals of honor. Um, while there have been examples of corruption and disgrace among the Salamic Knights, they have also given rise to some of Anselon's greatest heroes, such as Huma, Dra- Huma, Dragonbane, and Sturm Brightblade. Both great characters. I love both those guys. Those are cool names. Yes, also cool names. Uh, the Knights live by a concept called the Oath and the Measure. The Oath is a simple mantra, um, Est Solaris Oth Mythos. Ah, uh, meaning my honor is my life. It is the code by which all Salamic knights must live. Cool. Okay, we're putting a lot of pieces together here. I, mm-hmm. I'm liking this. Mm-hmm. The measure is the set of rules by which a knight lives their life, giving instruction on how to live the oath. It also divides the knights of Salamania into three orders: the knights of the crown, the knights of the sword, and the knights of the rose. There's kind of a hierarchy here. Also, they they play different roles when it comes to like military organization, okay. and they also have different patron deities. The the two kids of Paladine and then Paladine. Um, the measure was once said to have spanned over 30 volumes. Ooh. Yeah. So next, let's talk about the peoples of Kryn. Many of them are classic D&D stuff. Humans are humans. Dwarves are dwarves. Elves are elves, etc. So we're not going to talk really much about them, but we're going to talk about the stuff that makes Dragonlands different. Uh, first off, there are no orcs in Dragonlands. Okay. Um, they're just not a thing. It's never really mentioned. They're just not a thing. All right. There are goblins and hobgoblins, but even they're kind of not that common in, in the books, like compared to how common you would expect them in a D&D set. Yeah, especially with like, you know, just regular
0: play. You yeah. Know, you're always throwing goblins So it's out. like
2: orcs aren't a thing. Goblins and hobgoblins super downplayed. Okay. Um, But moving on, let's talk about what there is. Ogres and a race called the Erda. So ogres are the firstborn of the gods of evil. Uh, they were gifted with immortality and unsurpassed beauty and intelligence mm. they considered themselves to be the chosen of the gods they believed the gods sent them down to rule over the lesser races and animals and they formed a mighty empire in the early uh ages of kryn and enslaved humans as their servants bummer yeah. okay um Eventually, the humans formed an uprising that shattered the empire and won their freedom. In punishment for their failure and their hubris, Tychesis transformed her once favored children into forms that better matched their souls. They retained most of their intelligence, but became something more akin to traditional ogre, ogres in appearance. Uh, their society mostly collapsed, collapsed, and broke off into tribes. But one nation of theirs survived, and they also came to conquer the isles of the Minotaurs and enslaved them for a long period oh, of time. What the hell? Oh yeah, these guys—they're they're the worst. Um, uh, the Minotaurs end up getting their freedom too. The Minotaurs are kind of nasty in this world too, but I love them. Okay. Um, finally, the Urda are a race descended from the Ogres of old. They were a group of Ogre who rejected the evil ways of their kin and fled when their heresy was discovered. Uh, chased and hunted the newly named Urda, received assistance from the gods of good and found an island of safety, which received protections allowing only those sanctioned by Solinari, a good god of good magic, uh, to find the isle. Uh, here they remained in isolation for millennia, retaining their original beautiful forms. Okay, this is crazy. Yeah. Next up, we got Minotaurs. All right. Uh, Minotaurs live on the isles of Mythos and Kothos On the northeastern shore of the blood sea of Istar. Minotaurs live to be about 150 years old They are intensely proud creatures Growing to be about 7 feet tall With horns up to 24 inches long In order for one to advance in minotaur society They must fight in the great circus Only champions of the great circus can be leaders Minotaur believe that might makes right Additionally, nothing is more important to a minotaur Than his or her honor Okay, I like Minotaurs so far. They're, they're, they're lawful evil. We're going to keep going. They are the favorite of the god of war, Sargonus, and often serve Tichesis by serving him. They are an extremely xenophobic lot uh, with dreams of conquering all of Anselon. Uh The only other creature most Minotaur hold in high regard are the Knights of Salomnia, renowned for their code of honor. This is their one saving grace in the eyes of Minotaurs. Uh, lastly, Minotaurs are the most renowned sailors in all of Krenn. They have the greatest navy and the fastest ships in the world. Also I will I will say this a lot of their like um their uh like architecture and stuff and their their way of dressing is very reminiscent of like ancient Greeks. Okay, yeah, with the sailing and stuff also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next up we have a totally unique race called the Draconians. 20 years before Dragonborn were a thing, there were Draconians. Draconians are a race of dragon humanoids also called dragonmen because they walk upright and are human-sized. Draconians have scaly bodies like a dragon's, a snout, a short stubby tail. Created in order to fill the ranks of the dragon armies of the Dark Queen Takisus, the generals of the dragon armies generally use draconians as shock troops. They are not natural creatures of Krenn. They were created from the eggs of metallic dragons using dark magic called the Corruption Ritual. We're going to talk more about that later. Okay, because I was going to ask Yeah, about it. we're going to talk more about that later. There are five clans of Draconian, one for each type of metallic dragon age that we're corrupted from. Uh, unlike Dragonborn, many Draconians have wings and can fly, and instead of dragon breath weapons, Draconians have horrible effects that occur in their death. Some have bodies that turn to stone, instantly trapping whatever weapon killed them. Uh, some have bones that explode. And some dissolve into pools of deadly acid. Can
0: you imagine stabbing something? It's fucking bones explode.
2: Yeah, One of the coolest scenes early in uh, uh, Dragon Ball* of Twilight is when the the main group run into these things they've never seen before. And when they kill them, they start exploding and turning into stone. And they're like, what the fuck? yo? Yeah. (laughs) So next we're going to talk about gnomes and a race called Kender. So We've start- talked about the Kender before. We have. We're going to okay. get a little bit more into it. Uh, and, but we have to start with gnomes for lore reasons. Mm-hmm. So gnomes are the father race of dwarves and another small race known as Kender, which I think is noteworthy because in most settings, the big three humanoid races are human, elf, and dwarf. Created by the uh, creation god Rorix, gnomes are the great inventors of Kryn, uh, designing grand machines for every imaginable task. God, I love gnomes. Yeah, I I particularly like gnomes from this setting because they're ridiculous. At the beginning of their life, each gnome is given a life quest. The idea is that it is the the idea is that this is what their ancestors should have devoted their lives to, and this quest must be completed before the gnome and his forebearers can rest. For example, a life quest might be to study geometry of, of, of a single nail. After being approved by the guild, guild subcommittee to which his family belongs, the gnome spends his entire life working on this quest. Seldom does the guild declare a quest complete. That would mean that all that can be learned about the subject has been learned. Are they all stupid like that? <laughs> like, <sighs> one single nail? I'm just going to, like, Gnomes, they're they're hyper-intelligent. Yeah. To an extreme degree. So, like, basically every aspect of every atom of that nail, like, yeah, would sure. be that family's, like, life quest. Okay, I can see how that can Sometimes, be useful across lots of gnomes. Yes, exactly. Sometimes it's something small and menial like that. Sometimes it's something huge and grand. Okay. Um, it varies widely. Gnomes are notoriously fast talkers, usually running their words together like this. Not <laughs> but, like trying to trick you into like No, they're shit. just literally, they talk at high speeds. Cool. If you ask a gnome for his name, he will proceed to recite the entire history of his family, uh, his entire history and the history of everything which is, which he has invented. Uh, the only way to get a gnome's attention, uh, especially when they're in the middle of thought, is to interrupt them. Uh, this is not actually considered rude because it's common practice. Because you kind of have to. You kind of have to, and they're okay. always doing it to each other anyway. Gotcha. In fact, it is famously how their home island was named. Gnomes dwell within a mountain island of Mount Nevermind. The story goes that the first humans to contact the gnomes asked about the name of their homeland, to which the gnomes began to respond with every known fact about the mountain's size, geolo- geology, and history, uh, to which the humans interrupt saying, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the gnomes thought this was an ingeniously succinct and practical way of referring to the mountain, so they renamed it Mount Nevermind.
0: They're like, huh? Oh, well, I actually really like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> nice one. Let's
2: do it. So um, now we have to talk about a magic artifact known as the Grey Gem of Gargath. Okay, uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> For now, what you need, we're going to talk about it twice. For now, what you need to know is that it is an immensely powerful Grey Gemstone ca- that causes random chaos wherever it goes. Neat. And at some point in history, the gnomes got a hold of it. Of the gnomes who chased after the Grey Gem, none ever returned. Instead, they were transformed by the Granny gem's power from gnomes into either dwarves or kender, depending on whether they chased the stone because they coveted its value or they chased it because they were curious about it.
0: I think you skipped a line there. It said the, yeah? that the gem did escape and led a large group of gnomes. Chasing oh, okay, after yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yes. It, Which did. was implied by the many it was other implied, things you said. But yes, yes,
2: you're right. I just skipped that line. So the chaos in the gem caused it to like to escape. Yeah. Just start running. Exactly. Um... Now, like I said, dwarves are dwarves in this setting, except for gully dwarves, who we're not going to talk about today because there's no time, but I would love to talk about gully dwarves in their own episode one day. They're very fun. (laughs) Um, But Kender are something different. Uh, They replace halflings in Dragonlance and are rather fascinating. If Raceland Majir is the most famous character from the Dragonlance setting, then the very, very close runner-up would be a Kender named Tazloff Burfoot. Ooh, that's a lot of R's. Yeah, it is. Um, Kender are unique to Kryn. They're like the halflings, which many other worlds sport, but they're much more interesting than that. Kender appear to be small human children, slight of build, beardless, about three and a half to four feet tall. Uh, Kender generally live for about 100 years or until their curiosity gets them killed. Uh, One of the unique traits of Kender is their inevitable affliction of a thing called wanderlust. Uh, This is a fever which possesses young Kender and causes them to travel the world over. Kender wander for years, settling down after they feel they have wandered down all the roads their their heart desires. Wanderlust usually lasts for about 10 years. Okay, it usually cool. Usually kicks in late teens until their late 20s. Nice. Um, they just go on like a hippie convoy by themselves. Kinda. So in regard to personal belongings, Kender have a relatively loose definition of what is theirs. In a Kender home, a relic is anything that hasn't disappeared after three weeks. <laughs> uh, Kender have the unique handling ability which allows them to find obje- objects unconsciously. If a Kender were to walk through a crowd of people, it would, un- it would be unlikely if the Kender's pouches were not bulging with the belongings of at least half of the people. <laughs> uh and if anyone cornered them and asked them about it the kinder would truthfully reply that it must have fallen into my pouch it's a good thing that i found it or somebody else might have taken it oh my god
0: you know? <laughs> i'd be so pissed yeah,
2: i know yes uh, there's a lot of people not, yeah, not you, you shut kinder. up man yeah. give my stuff back i don't know
0: what you just said i don't like it because of
2: their naivety in regards to personal belongings especially how they come to possess those items which belong to other people the worst name that you can call a kinder is a cut purse or a thief for they believe that they are neither Uh, It was an accident, remember? (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) So, Kender also have a trait which enables them to be entirely fearless. Um, While the rest of the party shies away from the edge of a bottomless gorge, the Kender will skip merrily along the edge. Cross the rotting footbridge and stop to smell the roses on the other side while being charged by an enraged minotaur. (laughs) Uh, Everything is an adventure, including death, which is the last great adventure. This fearlessness might be interpreted as as stupidity, but Kender are fiendishly clever in a childlike sort of way. So quirky. Yes. They're very fae-like in a way. I guess so. Um, There are certain situations where Kender has been observed to get a strange feeling. This generally happens in the presence of something that is so evil that ra- that most rational people would have run away screaming already at this point. <laughs> the only r- uh, recorded instance of a Kender feeling fear is Tazov Burfoot, who learned of the fear of loss and for the safety of his companions. This is through deep personal loss. And afterwards, Tazoff, um, in the novels has a very difficult time relating to or conversing with other Kenders. He learns empathy. Yes. E- absolutely. Well, okay. it's not that he lacked empathy. He just lacked a context awareness and also like what it means to lose somebody that you love okay so since kender are so small some might think they're easily subdued by other races however coupled with their fearlessness kender have a unique ability to taunt enemies the taunt is usually highly personal insulting the lineage appearance or intelligence of the taunted the purpose is to throw the creature in such a race that it loses its head and attacks without thinking allowing the kender a victory uh, now, this ability is borderline magical in the way it's portrayed, as very few people can resist being goaded to a seething rage by Kender's taunts.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they, this kind of being just like kind
2: of generally angst is like, you know. This thing's cramping my style, man. Yeah, Kender. Like, I would not re- recommend almost any player trying to play a Kender because, like, it's difficult to do it in a way that's not going to en- enrage your fellow. That's players. That's what I was
0: going to say. Is like, dude, we already have problems with like the yeah. the rogues stealing right friends' money. This makes like, it worse. Yeah,
2: I will say this though. Um, the the way that they're portrayed in the books is incredibly endearing. Like, um, even though like the people around them are justifiably frustrated or yeah. enraged. Like, you as the reader, uh, especially getting their viewpoint, like, Tazelhoff is very endearing. Yeah, that's um, the
0: fey aspect of them, is they're, yeah. like, they're not obeying, like, the regular laws of social norms, I guess. Right,
2: exactly. So, finally, when it comes to unique properties of the setting of Dragonlance, let's talk about actual Dragonlances. Yay! <laughs> Dragonlances are weapons first created in the Third Dragon War, designed with the purpose of killing evil dragons, and are the only weapons with which mortals can... Who cannot use magic can kill dragons or even harm them. Oh. Dragon lances have this power because of the way in which they are created, which requires the use of a unique god blessed artifact known as the Silver Arm of Aragoth, which is literally a fucking arm. So you have to be missing an arm in order to get this thing and then make these things. Okay, yeah. so are people cutting off their arms? No, to get no. Them? There's only one Silver Arm. Uh, it, it exists in the third age and or not third age during the third dragon war and then it's fucking lost for an extraordinarily long time until it comes back in the fourth age dude fell down a ravine <laughs> it didn't wash up for a while but not only do you need the silver armor of Aragoth, you also need the secret knowledge of their composition and creation technique which can only be taught to you by either a metallic dragon or a deity cool okay so dragon lances are incredibly rare and not commonly traded for obvious reasons uh, there are two sizes of dragon lance, the smaller footman's dragon lance, which is around 8 feet long, and functions as a pole weapon, uh, while the larger mounted dragon lance is around 16 feet long and most commonly used when mounted on dragon. Um, a dragon lance's holy power is powerful enough to even harm Takesis herself.
0: Ooh, that's cool. These dragon lances are cool. Yeah, as cool as they should have
2: been. They're very fucking cool. Um, I will say that mithril isn't really ever mentioned in any of the books that I've read when it comes to dragon lance, mm-hmm. But the way they describe the way uh, dragon lances look and the the vagueness of their creation, uh, it smells like mithril. It smells like oh. these are mithril lances. Okay, yeah. I got you.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
1: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Shout out to Tim O'Connor,
1: shout out to, shout out to, shout out to Timocon. Oh.
0: We've returned.
2: Indeed we have. We're
0: fucking back talking about <laughs> killing dragons with special, special lances that were made with silver arms or something. What the hell was it again?
2: And a lot of God magic,
0: a lot of God magic, There's <laughs> a lot of that going on. Um, yeah. Listen, do you support us? You do, because you're listening, and we really, really appreciate that. We do. There's a couple things you could do if you want to help us even more. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is leave an iTunes review of some kind. Oh, yeah. Some sort of review. Or a Spotify review. Or slap, rating, I believe. Slap that rating. subscribe. Um, yeah, or yes, yeah, any kind of review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on is super duper helpful for mm-hmm. visibility for the show, et cetera. It, it really helps a lot, and we like seeing the nice things. Mm-hmm. That Say we do. some nice things, please. <laughs> um, you can also go to patreon.com slash the dungeon We will be talking a lot more about what's going on there at the end of this episode. This is a long one, but if you're sticking around to the end, we appreciate that a lot as well. Absolutely. And uh, you'll hear some some good news at the end of this one from the dungeon cast team. So if, if you could stick around, yeah. stick around, stick around. Let's Absolutely. get back to Dragonlance. Let's tell me how we kill it. these bad boys.
2: <laughs> well, now I'm going to tell you the history of the world. Okay, I mean, that's fine, too. I'll take it. So the history of the world of Kryn, uh, and that's the settings for uh, both the novels and the game supplements, is roughly split into five separate ages. The Age of Starbirth, the Age of Dreams, the Age of Might, the Age of Despair, and the Age of Mortals. Uh, we will go over all of these but most of the novels and modules take place in the fourth and fifth ages ages of despair and ages of mortals okay um though one of my favorite stories occurs in the beginning of the age of might slash end of the age of dreams um and we're gonna start at the beginning because that's a good place to start with the age of starbirth. so i love starbirths. <laughs> me too They're delicious in the beginning, there were only two entities in the universe. One they called the High God, who represented law, order, and creation. And one they call Chaos, the father of all and of nothing, who represented disorder, destruction, and the void. For reasons unknown, the High God called into being from the void that was Chaos, his, its, or their children, who came to later be known as the gods. Probably smoking that reefer. That <laughs> so he also oh, called from the void. Um, I'm just, I'm, I was also...
0: Sorry, I was kidding. I don't like Starbursts. Oh, okay. Yeah, or any gummy candy. (laughs) Fun fact about Brian.
2: Teeth problems? get stuck in my teeth, but also like the flavor... I never say this part, but the
0: flavor's just not there for me.
2: And it's, it's fine. Really not. I'm not like a big Starburst guy myself. Yeah. I like Skittles. I'm, yeah, I can do a Skittle. Yeah.
0: Tropical Skittles, those were good. Sure, those were sure, good.
2: absolutely. I'm a chocolate man myself. I'm but. a chocolate <laughs>
0: man. Yes, I knew this about you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Turtle brownies, baby. They're oh, yes,
2: way. thank you. All right, back to, back <laughs> yeah, to sorry. the history of grin. So not much is known about this early time in the universe since no non-deity could ever exist in a place of that time and space. But at some point, the gods tired of the void, desiring to create something of their own. With the high god's blessing, the gods were allowed to create things of their own and divided into three groups, each led by one of the eldest and most powerful among them, uh, the three sibling deities, Paladine, Galene, and Tachesis. Paladine and his hosts would eventually become the Pantheon of Light, Galene and his, the Pantheon of Balance, and Tachesis and her ilk, the Pantheon of Darkness. Though these are mortal mortal con- constructs attached to them, um, and for now, it was not so much that they were evil, good, or neutral, it was that they just really had differing views and affinities. Okay. So it is said that in this moment, Rorix, the Forging God, struck his hammer on the anvil of time, and the sparks from his strikes became the first stars. Nice, that's dope. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Together, the gods created the world of Kryn and dragons. Uh, the three pantheons discovered that, then discovered the potential of the stars, which ended up being spirits in reality. And their disagreement of who should guide these spirits, uh, they then began to quarrel. Uh, The fighting, uh, which was called the All Saints War, is stopped by the High God, who proclaims that each pantheon may offer one gift to these spirits, but otherwise leave them the fuck alone. (laughs) Okay. Um, Nice. The the gods of light provide the spirits with physical forms so as to enjoy Kryn's pleasures. The gods of darkness gift the spirits with ambition and desire. The gods of balance give free wills to the spirits. The spirits are born into the world of Kryn as ogres, elves, and humans. Each family of gods creates one god to honor the truce, and the gods of magic are born. Good Solinari, Neutral Lunatari, and Evil Nutari.
0: Okay, they really are just like stand-ins.
2: Yeah. All right. So the Age of Dreams can be summed up as this. The gods all try to spread their influence over the peoples of Kryn, and quickly things break down into a two-party system of good versus evil. Uh, Kryn is, uh, is raked in a series of wars called the Dragon Wars over the course of millennia. There are three major dragon wars, each ending in the goddess of evil, Tichesis, and her chromatic dragon's defeat and balance being restored. Mm. The third dragon war ended with the defeat of an avatar of Tichesis by a knight uh, named Huma Dragonbane. Uh, this is a dope book called The Legend of Huma, by the way. Everyone go read it because it's great.
0: Yeah, and if, you, if you're <laughs> like maybe there are some people like listening to the first episodes and then listening to the weekly releases. We did a Legend of Humor
2: read in the wizard episode. I'm pretty sure. We did. A very, yeah, like, we fourth, did. Fifth episode. Yeah. Something like that. We did. It was a a, a Magius quote. Yeah, yeah. We had
0: time to do like fun little
2: soundbite things yeah. at the beginning of this one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. These episodes. Um, so Tikesus was banished from returning to the prime material plane. The chromatic dragons fled the continent to keep the balance. The metallic dragons also left the land. Soon people would forget dragons actually existed and instead consider these creatures creatures nothing more than legend. This leads to two major historical events: the third age, known as the Age of Might and the unintentional fucking up of the balance of light and darkness, <laughs> but in the direction of the light this time. Okay? So the Age of Might sees the rise of Istar, a new nation devoted to Paladine and the gods of good. Istar grows and begins trading, growing, stronger and stronger until it is a major world power. The king-priest begins rulership of Ishtar and declares itself the moral center of the world. Ishtar begins to lose sight of the balance between good and evil and tries to eradicate all evil, quote, evil in the world. In doing so, they become the evil and corruption that they seek to destroy. Ah, Mm -hmm. So traditionally, traditionally, evil races, we will say, such as ogres and minotaurs, get enslaved. Joy. Bummer. Mages are persecuted and forced into hiding. Bummer. Uh, there are thought police constantly reading people's minds and making sure no one is thinking evil thoughts. I hate that. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Freedoms of all peoples get repressed. Soon, the king priest demands, demands from the gods the power that they gave human dragon maiden in the hopes of destroying all evil. Ultimately, king priest uh, Bildinas, that's his name, prepares to actually ascend to godhood himself <coughs> with the aid of artifacts known as the Discs of Mashakal. Okay. The people of Istar applaud this effort and are sent 13 warnings by the gods to warn them of their folly. Um, All the true clerics from the world vanish. Now, there are some books that actually go into this, but essentially what happens is at this point, there's a lot of people who call themselves clerics, but they have no divine power because they're not actually good people. You know, they're not actually. Oh, right. They can't. They they don't have a connection to Paladine because they suck. Um, (laughs) And the few that are like real and do have actual divine power. Um, they all get whisked away like in a rapture type thing
0: are they doing like performance magic probably then but yeah like, there's a lot of shit yeah, like that yeah, absolutely. oil yes. salesman's it's kind exactly of stuff exactly
2: right <clears throat> um, but all of the true clerics get, get vanished from the world they get taken up to the heavens straight raptured well. baby okay yeah um other things happen like, uh, the, uh, let me see here, like trees weeping blood. The city of Istar is battered by continuous storms and basically like your 10 plagues. <laughs> yeah. Stuff, right? Trees
0: are like, fuck, <laughs> this My, sucks. I have eyes now and they're bleeding.
2: <laughs> but of course, the citizens of Istar and their king priests mistake these signs as being the work of evil trying to stop them.
0: <laughs> yeah. A fucking. Tree with bleeding eyes sounds kind of evil to me, too. (laughs) Honestly, it
2: it does sort of, doesn't it? I can relate. So in the end, the gods drop a fiery mountain on top of the city of Istar.
0: Okay, that's one way to solve your fucking
2: problems. (laughs) In an event called the Cataclysm, every land is torn asunder. Seas move dramatically. Countless lives are lost and the gods leave. They abandon Kryn and all divine magic uh, vanishes with them. Uh, regular magic remains, but not because of normal D&D reasons. Like in in Dragonlance, magic isn't this thing that like permeates the universe. It's not the right? force. It's not the force. It's yeah. you, you don't tap into it necessarily. Um, it's given by the gods of magic. Sure. Um, and the reason that the the magic, regular magic, doesn't dis- disappear is because the gods of magic, the three moons, remain near Kren, Uh Though they too are silent to the prayers of the people of Kryn. Uh, the world goes into a 300 year depression and the age of despair begins. Mm, despair. Uh, do they mean when they drop, say, I dropped a fiery mountain on that motherfucker? Do they mean like a meteor? So it's described. As a fiery mountain in every single book. But yes, I'm pretty sure it's a meteor. Okay, cool. But like, yeah. at no point is it described as anything else but a fiery mountain.
0: What is a meteor but a fiery mountain? I mean, yeah,
2: absolutely. It's just a loose mountain falling. It's a fucking rogue-ass <laughs> mountain. It's on fire because it's fucking <laughs> scratching... The atmosphere too hard. Absolutely. So the fallout from the cataclysm lasts for centuries. Plague and famine rack the lands, the knights of Solomnia are unjustly persecuted as scapegoats for the cataclysm. Mm. Lawlessness and banditry run rampant. New gods are sought but none are ever found because there are none. Um eventually enough time passes that even the elves who are long lived begin to doubt that there ever were gods. Uh, and this is where the books and the modules all start to enter the picture. Oh, wow. Okay. So it is at this point that Takesis goes to fucking work. Ooh. <laughs> she sees her opportunity and she takes it. She starts by bringing the sunken temple of Istar to the abyss. Okay, so the abyss is a bit different in Dragonlance. There are no demons. Well, there are, but the, they don't talk about them. And they're not in the abyss. The abyss is just where Takesis and the evil gods live. Okay. And the only time you ever really see it is... When certain characters go there, and it's kind of described as like a black sky and a vast like purple desert, and that's all you really ever see of it, so it's n- n- neither here nor there.
0: Okay, right. it's just the place where evil lives. Exactly. And so the demonic yes.
2: representation
0: we have is Takhisis.
2: Basically, okay. yeah. Um. So she takes the temple of Vistar to Abyss and takes the temple's foundation stone to a place in Kryn called Naraka to be used as a gateway for her and her forces. Basically, mm-hmm. she's planning a way to encroach and take over again. Um. She then secretly awakens the chromatic dragons before returning to the abyss to gather her might. The chromatic dragons are then sent to steal all the eggs of the sleeping metallic dragons. Takesis then awakens the good dragons and secures a vow of non-interference in her war to come. In exchange, she promises to return their eggs at the war's conclusion. Ooh. So she's 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 setting it all up. Uh, spoiler: alert, she doesn't return those eggs. What she does <laughs> with them is really horrible. We kind of already talked about it. She makes omelets. Uh, yeah, the worst omelets. The worst omelets. Okay, <laughs> so uh, she makes draconians out of them. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, so Takisus uh places her forces under the command of her dragon high lords, evil creatures uh that are are drawn to the cause, and the high lords uh ally with the na- with other nations to increase their might. Um, draconians, a race of dragon. Humanoids with scaly bodies like a dragons a sh- a snout, stubby tail, are created from the capture of metallic dragon eggs through terrible dark ceremonies and used to bolster the dragon armies. And the War of the Lance begins. Yeah, I stole your babies. And turned them into fucking monsters. They're my soldiers now.
0: Yeah, by the way, Drac-
2: it ends up uh, later that draconians are people with feelings and stuff. And there mm-hmm. are groups of them that end up like, going their own way later. Okay. at this point, you know, they were just born and like, you got a dark goddess telling you to go kill. Like, you you go kill. (laughs) Todd, I've known you for three minutes. Are we doing this? We're
0: doing this. She's saying to do it. Uh, I have a sword. I kind of want to do it. Todd, are you going? (laughs) I'm in. I'm going if Todd's going.
2: Todd's Todd's with us. They're all going. So (laughs) I'm not going to cover every detail of the War of the Lance here. If people have enough interest, I would be happy to cover it in its own episode, but it is essentially the core novels of the Dragonlance setting in a trilogy known as the Chronicles Trilogy. Uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, Dragons of Winter Night, and Dragons of Spring Dawning. Uh, you should read them. I think they're great. Okay. Suffice it to say that the war is won against Achesis at both great loss and great gain. The gods are back, and civilization begins to rebuild in a way reminiscent to the beginning of the Age of Might. 28 years pass this way. A lot happens uh, in this 28-year period, including Raislin Majir, some might say the greatest wizard of all time, almost manages to become a god and take out the whole Dragonlance Pantheon. And I mean all of them. Oh, wow. Like all of them. It's almost easy, huh? Yeah, but that's a story for a different day when we cover him. Okay. Um, But the peace is tenuous between the various factions, and isolationism and xenophobia cause everyone to have a blind eye to Tachesis' new plan of action her Knights of Tichesis. Okay, yeah, we've talked about the Knights of Tichesis. Ah, man, if we did, it was a long time ago, but we're about to again. So basically, Tichesis is sick of losing. (laughs) She she recognizes one of the major factors in her losing is the fact that her forces are often driven by ambition, power thirst, selfishness, and desire for violence and destruction. Uh, They are chaotic and often turn on and thwart each other. Uh, This includes most of her dragons. Uh, So she decides to take a page from her brother Paladine's book specifically, uh, from his knights of Salamnia, who follow a code of conduct called the Oath and the Measure, and have been given have been a thorn in her side since the Age of Dreams. She gives a vision to a capable commander of her former dragon armies, and provides him with a strict code of conduct called the Blood Oath. She then recruits the entirety of the blue dragons to work directly with these knights. So throughout history, Tukisus has played favorites with her dragon children, usually favoring reds and black dragons for their thirst for destruction and effectiveness in killing, but reds are too angry and prideful to control, and black dragons bloodthirsty and hateful even uh, of each other. Okay. Uh, white dragons are too dumb. They are very dumb in this setting, by the way. They're not, like, they're usually of average intelligence in D&D setting. They're, like, they're, they're basically animals in this setting. Mm, okay. Uh, and greens are too cowardly, devious, and ambitious for her purposes. So blues, but blues are orderly and lawful. They pride themselves on their might, but in a controlled and practiced manner. And of all five chromatics, they have the most respect for mortals, seeing anyone who could prove themselves as worthy. So she picks the blues as her new flavor of the week. Okay, I like that a lot. Yeah. And you know what? It fucking works. <laughs> the Knights of Tichesis trounce half the fucking world, and very quickly. Under the Knights of Tichesis and the Blue Dragons, all the more chaotic factions of the dragon armies are kept under control and are far more effective. The Knights of Salomnia are completely broken, and all human lands are occupied, with the elves next up to fall. But then... Some serious, serious shit goes down. Ooh, what is that serious shit, William? So remember the beginning of the episode or beginning of the history portion of this episode that I mentioned the two primal primordial over deities? Barely. Uh, the high God and chaos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so first up, the high God ha- has long been gone. Uh, once Kryn was created, he bounced saying good luck, kids. Yeah. He's stuck in a couch somewhere. Yeah. He's doing Get other it? things. Weed. It's weed jokes. <laughs> but let's talk about chaos. Okay. So he doesn't like Kryn. Uh, He doesn't like anything because he's destruction incarnate. (laughs) Yeah, any order is bad. Yeah, but he allows the gods to do their thing because they're kind of his kids too, and he's too chaotic to be bothered to do anything organized enough to destroy it all. Mm, mm. So uh, he does fuck with the world here and there, though, uh, to the gods' consternation. Like, he's always putting them on edge. Um, Okay. But all is mostly fine between the gods, chaos, and their creation. Enter Hidukul. Also known as the Prince of Lies, the Betrayer, the Broken Scales, and the Prince of Tarnished Gold. Oh, jeez. He's the god of avarice, exploitation, and treachery. And he decides to play a trick on everybody. This is the Asmodius stand-in? No, this is the Loki. Oh,
0: okay. This is the Loki of the pantheon.
2: Okay. So he goes to Rorix, god of creation. Remember the guy who hit his anvil all the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, flattering his skills and convincing him that the constant tugging between the forces of light and darkness is a serious problem only he can solve. Ooh. It... Uh, if, oh, oh yeah, it's the Pantheon of Neutrality's job to keep the balance between the two, and how can they do that without something to boost their power to keep both light and dark in their place? Why not create an anchor of concentrated neutrality, an artifact to give neutrality a bigger seat at the table, if you will? Okay. Rorix is convinced, and he creates an object called the Grey Gem of Gargoth. There we go. <laughs> and he decides, of all the things that represent neutrality best, it would be chaos. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure will suggests this to him. Chaos isn't just destruction. It's also change and growth. Completely amoral and, well, neutral. So Rorix tries to capture a small bit of Chaos's essence and put it into the gemstone. Problem is, Chaos is an infinite entity who is both one point and all points in the universe. And so to capture a small part of him is to capture all of him. And Rorix accidentally seals the over-deity into the Grey Gem. Oh, man. Yeah. Realizing his terrible mistake... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also uh, that releasing chaos is not an option because he would be super fucking pissed to probably destroy everything. Rorix decides to hide the gem in one of the one of the moons for safety. you're a
0: rock now dog I'm sorry
2: (laughs) this doesn't work Uh, the Grey Gem is a super powerful artifact reeling with chaos magic much like the One Ring it is also sentient and wants to cause chaos and so it finds its way into the world of Kryn, causing much calamity in its wake wherever it goes as we talked about with the gnomes and the kinder and the dwarves it's like the
0: Jumanji board
2: Yeah, and it always manages to disappear before Rorik can get his hands on it Uh, not to appear again for centuries where it repeats its wanton chaos and disappears again i like it i like the gem yeah the well, gem is funny yeah well, it's not gonna be funny for long no, so funny fast <laughs> forward a few thousand years okay to when the knights of tachesis are taking over the world like i was saying before dope so while that is happening the gray gem which was found and being held by the urda people remember the them i was talking about the beautiful ogre people that became the Urtas? They Became uglies. Yeah. well except for these ones didn't
0: oh these ones did not yeah, oh the urda yeah, stayed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
2: okay uh, because of reasons I'm not going to get into. Uh, if you want to understand those reasons, read the book *Dragons of Summer Flame*. Um, the Erda release Chaos from his prison. They didn't know he was in there, but they want to release the magic in the gem that so they can use it to protect their island. Um, anyways, he cracks it open, and it's like a nuclear bomb going off, killing everybody Oof. on the island. Um, and Chaos is uh, freed from his prison. Joy, and he's pissed. Joy. (laughs) Yeah. He decides he's going to return everything to the void, starting with Kryn and then the gods themselves.
0: (laughs) Fuck all this shit. Ah!
2: So he raises armies of shadow whites. These are like literally like shadow people. Cool. Uh, Dragon like beasts, but made out of magma and of stone, and more and even more like aberrations. And he launches a worldwide assault on Kryn. Everyone everywhere is dealing with these things, and these things won't die. (laughs) <laughs> um, or some of them do die but just more rise in their place okay and everyone is losing this fight and the knights of tachesis right after their victory over most of the world get mostly wiped out wow and so it's a, so at this point there's like literally like six knights of tachesis and like four knights of Salomnia left alive wow. in the world okay right? so meanwhile uh all the gods of all the pantheons are in an all-out celestial battle with chaos himself So, like, there's a mortal plane fight going on and a celestial plane fight going on. Uh, And they're losing. Uh, Takeses straight fucking runs away. Oh, wow. She knows it's a losing fight, and she escapes to somewhere beyond. Uh, Paladine leads everyone in a final defense, knowing they can't win, but hoping to buy mortal kind some time. Um, Details for another time, but what ends up happening is a last band of the Knights of Takeses, led by Steel Brightblade, uh, who will or could get his own episode. Is probably one of my favorite characters in all of fiction alongside a last band of Knights of Salamnia, join forces and on the backs of the last remaining blue and silver dragons, uh, with the help of the only remaining white mage, uh, Palin Majir, a nephew to Rasul Majir, hmm. uh, a kender named Tazalf Burfoot, uh, each could get their own episode and probably will. And a mysterious woman named Usha, who is the keeper of the gray gem. Uh, they ride into the abyss with the gray gem to try and reseal chaos. Also, Rorix is with them, disguised as a mortal dwarf, even though, like, he also blows his cover so they know it's him. And he's kind of <laughs> coaching them through all this, like, telling them what needs to get done. Okay. Uh, so, long story short, they do it. Most of them die, <laughs> and the world is absolutely ravaged, but they save all of creation. Wow. It's at this point that the gods decide they, they need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> their machinations and quarrels have done nothing but cause undue pain, suffering, and war. They leave their final blessings, and they all depart permanently, including the gods of magic, the three moons, Thus begins the age of mortals. Magic is gone, and the gods will no longer move mortals like pieces in a game. So nobody can do magic anymore. Right. Okay. So this is where I stopped reading Dragonlance. It was great. (laughs) It was just where I happened to run out of books. For sure. So it was a great book uh, to end on, and a few years later, I did see that there were books that had come out, but I never got around to reading them. Uh, I went ahead and spoiled these books for myself so I could finish this timeline for you. Oh. So remember... Everything I just said about the gods willingly leaving uh, to let their creation flourish—yeah, mm-hmm. that was a lie. Oh, <laughs> remember when I said takisa straight up abandoned reality and ran for her life? Yeah, what she actually was doing was taking advantage of the distraction caused by chaos to create a demi-plane of existence only she could access. Then, in the aftermath of chaos's defeat, she whisks Kryn away to said pocket dimension so that she and she alone can mess with it. What the fuck? I know. Okay. okay, yeah. So, she presents herself as the one true god and proceeds to work miracles and gain followers. She unleashes six super dragons called Dragon Overlords into the world to lead her armies. Me, I like that. The essence of chaos now permeates the world and new wild magic sorcery is discovered. Hmm. Uh, a lot of stuff I don't have full context for happens. There's time travel, armies of undead, metallic dragons imprisoned in the moon, a secret hidden goddess inside of Kryn... Um, I haven't read the book So I really I, I can't sit here And explain all of that to you But like These are all factors In this war Okay um, Eventually After much war And many feats of heroism A gateway for the gods To find Kryn Is made And they return And they're pissed <laughs> T'Keesis is yeah. stripped Of her divinity And immortality Just as she's entering Kryn in her avatar form She gets murked By an elf um, I didn't catch his name But she's dead now uh, <laughs> The gods Now returned Orders is restored, and Paladine willingly becomes immortal himself to maintain the balance of the pantheon.
0: This elf reminds me of the dude that killed um uh
2: the dragon in the Hobbit movies. Oh in the Hobbit. Well, he's not an elf. He's a that was a human. Bard. Y- yeah. 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 His but name but was like, Bard. He wasn't a Bard, but No, his name yeah. Was bard Bar- okay. Bard killed um. Smaug. I, I know. I keep wanting to say
0: Sauron. I'm like, the, no. stop. Stop trying to
2: say Sauron. <laughs> That'd be a crazy retelling.
0: Yeah, I shot the arrow and it flew over Smog and it landed in that fool's eye. <laughs> crazy. I'd watch anyway. It anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, but that, el- that elf is like bard. You just
2: kind of forget about him. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Thing is, I'm sure he's really cool. I'm sure the books are good. I just haven't read him. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, the, like I said, The God's Return, Orders of Paladine, uh, willing willingly becomes immortal to maintain the balance. So, like, oh yeah, the leader Decesis of evil became mortal. Exactly, and she's dead now. Well, I'm not going to kill myself, but I'll become.
0: <laughs> hey, an elf. look, I'll be a dude, all right. I'm <laughs> exactly. not going to die. Exactly. Um, so he becomes
2: an elf. Well, um, I, that sounds like you could just switch back to godhood. You know, I at think some someone point. would have to switch him because he gives up all everything. Sure. he just becomes a dude. He just saves a piece of like
0: gold. He's like, you're going to turn me back? <laughs> <man>? <laughs> no, I don't think
2: so. You. Well, that's the end of the Dragonlance timeline up to this point. So I'm excited to see what 5e has added uh, and where the, in the timeline the new book jumps in. I think they're jumping in in The Horror of the Lance. But it would be cool if they move it forward. I guess we'll we'll find out in a few days when it comes out. I'm sure by the time you're hearing this episode, it's already been out. And yeah. I've already probably read through it. Yeah, this should be the background for that. Like, there's going to be
0: lots of cool new stuff in, in those books as well. Yeah, but this is everything you need to know about Dragonlance. This is,
2: this is like, Up I to mean, this point. Yeah, obviously there's like individual character stuff that can and maybe its own episodes um one day but
0: yeah as far yeah. as an intro like okay i've got it this is a good like world builder piece right 100 like, percent.
2: yeah and if you guys are interested in more Dragonland stuff if you want the specifics just let us know and uh if you're a patron go ahead and put in the suggestion to- uh topic threads and we'll see if it gets voted on
0: yeah we see it we see all the youtube comments and stuff too of people asking for episodes and people on our discord so um you know let us know yeah
2: And that being said, I think we can get ready for a long rest. Let's do a long rest, a traditional one. Let's do it.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the long rest. Uh, We didn't do one last time because fuck that shit. (laughs) <laughs> it we, wasn't conducive it was to the a, episode it was a structure. spiritual long rest yes yeah. and i think for the uas and guest episodes we probably won't do long rest we'll probably just let our guests plug and like that'll just kind of be the way it is yeah anyway um we owe you guys some patreon shout outs last time uh we had to skip it for technical reasons and that's all good because we let them pile up a little bit baby now, <laughs> we, now we're gonna shout you all out indeed it's ready i'm ready are you ready kids <laughs> Aye aye, Captain. Let's do this shit. <laughs> we got an upgrading patron, Dirty K. Thank you, Dirty K. Woo woo. Thank you, Dirty K. That's like that's like Special K's After Dark my cousin. <laughs> oh no. Uh, Christian Roberts. Thank you, Christian. Woo woo.
2: Darth Pikachu wants a Nyan Koi review. Oh my! God. What is Nyan Koi? Um, I do believe it is an actual, uh, cryptocurrency. I believe it's a real one. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was Darth Pikachu wants a Nyan coin. Wants a Nyan coin review. review. I'm not saying it again, but thank you. <laughs> thank you, Darth Pikachu. Thank you very much. I'll call you Darth Pikachu for short, if that's okay. Darth Pikachu. Bro, Nyan, I was playing Nyan Smash Brothers the other day, and I was, I was doing some Pikachu stuff, and I'm like, man, I would love to main Pikachu. It's not gonna happen. Pikachu I, rules. Pikachu rules. But Watch I'm a zero your suit. E- I'm, ESAM videos. I'm, yeah, I'm a zero suit till I die. Anyways. Uh...
0: We got Tristan Liu. Thank you, Tristan. Annual subscriber, Tristan Liu. Annual subscriber. The real Demogorgon. Is it? Is it truly you, my lord? This is. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love these, by the way, when you guys do this. There's been like a total of two or three. Probably. Thank you.
2: Thank you, my lord Demogorgon. But come on, Will. You know it's not. All right. Well, thank you. But shout out to Demogorgon.
0: Um, some. Oh, somebody asked where our little Demogorgon, If you're watching on YouTube, you can see our little Demogorgon plushie. Um, it was actually a gift from Chemical on Discord. Uh, I don't know where he got it. Thank you, Marcos. Yeah, thank you. Um, Wayne Detweiler. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, what do we do? Uh... Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. Icewind Brewer. Thank you, Icewind Brewer. Thank you. Thank you. Austin Stark. Ooh, like the last name, Austin. Thank you. How'd you know it was a woo? Woo! Woo! (laughs) Okay. Kellen Mark. Thank you, Kellen. An annual subscriber, Kellen Mark. Annual
2: subscriber. Annual patron.
0: Patron. You are our Patreons. (laughs) That's an old joke. Mm -hmm. It's uh, not that old. Chris Osprey. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. The novice DM, the novice bard.
2: The the novice DM, the novice bard. Thank you, the novice DM, the novice bard.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Tommy Martin. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. Just, uh, oh, it's like, it's. Uh, it reads like Justice, but it's J-U-S-T-U-S-S. Justice Alexander Golden. You like your middle name there, Justice Alexander Golden. It's the same as Williams. Yes. <laughs> and the same as your special guest, Jake's. What, Jake's middle name is Alexander too. We've been through this. We have? Several I don't times. remember yes, this. Yes, his middle name is Alexander. Holy shit. Um Woo Woo. <laughs> Thank you, Justice. The last mile. The last mile. They're back. Thank they you, the last mile. You've done it again. They've done it again, last mile. Uh, I guess we, because you're up there, it doesn't yeah. matter how many Abs- you bump Abs- up, at, that's a tear. Thank and, you, let's uh, And then Nick Smith. Thank you, Nick. It's N-I-C-H, which I think is is charming. N-I-C-H.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick Smith. That's We got him. Did all it. right? We done it. Thank you all of you guys for hey, supporting. You, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you want one of these fucking sick ass shout outs
0: that we do? <laughs> I know you do. So go to <laughs> patreon.com slash dungeoncast. If you sign up as a patron there you automatically get a shout out along with whatever bonus content comes in your tier. Uh, Obviously it scales as you go up in the dollar amount, but yeah, we have a new tier on, uh, on Patreon. It's the Omega tier where Mm -hmm. we are recording the, uh, the next campaign, uh, that goes on our actual play feed, the super quest feed, as we're calling it, Mm -hmm. uh, F bats is currently playing there, but, uh, this, um, this show is damned by me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I get to be a player. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's We've already really, recorded an episode. It was great. Yeah, it's a really good
0: time. We should have that up there pretty soon if I haven't done it already. I probably haven't done it already, but it'll be up there soon. <laughs> um, we're we're getting those up there early, and they're meant to be like sound design and release later. But you can get early episodes ad-free of this show. I'm going to be better about even when they're not. We get them out as early as we can. It typically means like a week. Um, this week they're a little late because we are recording a little late. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. They're not always going to be like rhythmically on time, but Mm -hmm. I'll make sure I upload them there anyway, even if they're late, like if they don't come out as early because they're still going to be ad free.
2: Yeah. They're ad free. And also, uh, we, we've come to understand that a lot of patrons, like that's their primary way of listening to us on that feed. So yes.
0: So so I I neglected to post two episodes that aired on the normal feed at their normal time and weren't early. Uh, I'm going to correct that in the future. Um, you get uh, you get to see Will's uh, weekly newsletters. You yep. get to see uh, oh, they're as
2: weekly as I can make them. But a new one just came out today.
0: So. It's another thing. Like we do as much Patreon stuff as yeah. we can. Like if we can't yeah. get to it, it's just like it's kind yeah. of the only of the reason there's the been
2: delays has just been for health reasons. But um, I'm back at it again and I'm gonna try and stay healthy. So yeah, we've
0: got kids. Like health reasons come up yeah. like frequently. So. Yeah. Uh, And uh, there's just a ton of stuff. You can see the episode notes. All of our character creation sheets are there. We try to keep those as up to date as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, OST, a lot of people have been asking about OST, especially lately. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, OST is like anything that we made across all of our shows. So there's a lot of stuff in there. There's also Um, an annual uh, unique
2: uh, merchandise item, item? yeah, yeah. So, oh and that's and yeah the the piece has already been commissioned but when when it's created we will start rolling out the item should we announce the piece um uh, no we'll wait we'll, we'll wait until, until it's ready. actually there yeah. okay yeah, yeah. it's
0: a little later than normal this year and that's for yeah. like it's hard to work with artists sometimes
2: um uh, for it's again health re- yeah health related other, for me. other things <laughs> like it takes
0: time and yeah. like sometimes we don't have all the time in the world being yeah. us but yeah um Omega's Roland Unhollowed has a recording under the yes. belt. So that's that's in the process as moving. well. We've been talking a lot about Will's
2: new new game. Yeah, the Grimdark um, Horror Dark Fantasy yeah. game.
0: That, on one's gonna, that one's gonna stay behind the paywall. Sorry for paywalling stuff. It's just kind of yeah, like that's
2: gonna yeah, that's gonna be a Patreon exclusive show. Mm-hmm. Um at least in at least for years to come. Yeah, so, for a while. Yeah. Like how FBats was. Yeah, if it if it ever does go public, it'll be after Patreons have have gotten access to it for a while. Yeah, for
0: years probably. Yeah. Um uh, but yeah, if, you, if you've if you got any feedback or anything, check us out, thedungeoncast at gmail.com. We also have a website where you can get all our DungeonCast news and stuff like that. We're on social media, uh, mostly Discord these days, so check out our Discord. There's a link below. And uh, mods, watch out, babies! gonna We get some Discord people coming in. <laughs> uh, and and there's a really great community there. I think we're going to start doing some str- some streaming stuff as well, which is our big announcement. Is uh, We're going to try to get streaming going on the DungeonCast so you can listen to episodes live as we record them. Yeah um and that's something that we're pushing as we move uh i don't i don't think move away from youtube is the right thing the level of youtube commit we have right now will remain the same um, yeah but it will be no more we're going to transition out of other things because they're real dirtbags over there at Google yeah sometimes. they're still not paying us yeah <laughs> just, i mean that's,
2: like, that's just it like we make content we get views but they're not paying us because ad space hates us so
0: yeah and like
2: that that was part of the fun of
0: youtube was like the first thing to pay us it was was like part of the fun of it it was like okay some money for the thing we make that's nice but uh you know like it's just like it's really not where we're trying to put our energy these days i think streaming is going to be a lot of fun yeah um so yeah we'll we'll have more details on the next recording for you about that but just keep an eye out for those sort of things you'll probably see it in the discord on twitter um when we get that sort of thing up and running we'll probably do some tests
2: test streams definitely
0: before we try like a whole episode Uh, and there might be some hiccups with it. So, um, it, kind of, it kind of messes with the early episode thing too, a little bit, but I think it'll be okay. I think, I think it'll work out. Yeah, I think so. Cause like we're, we'll, we'll talk more about logistics of how episodes are going to get released after streams. It's not going to change the podcast. We basically do it live anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that that's that's we're just gonna try something new because that's what we do here at the Dungeon Cast. We change, we adapt, we overcome. It's about drive, it's about power, we get hungry, we devour. Thank you, The Rock. I wonder who secretly Dwayne Johnson really is deep inside. I was talking about that with my wife. Like, yeah. Is he evil? Is he secretly evil in there?
2: I don't I don't think so, but I mean, God knows, like, I don't know. I used to
0: steal Snickers from the 7 Eleven as my pre workout meal every day when I was in like my early. Like, like late teens early 20s and now I'm coming back to the Seven Eleven to buy all the snicker bars and give the employees cash money and pay for everybody's shit that's in line I was like that's really cool but it took you a really long time to go do that The Rock you've been rich
2: for a while to be fair he probably just hadn't thought of it yet maybe and then he had an epiphany well his PR team did that's I mean, why I'm maybe. like okay
0: how deep does this rabbit hole maybe. go Dwayne I,
2: well either it's a lie or, or it was a real epiphany yeah,
0: yeah well I like that guy for now until yeah, we man. find out his deep dark secrets I like his work for now yeah
2: well, we're watching you, Dwayne. It's <laughs> not how I expected this episode to end.
0: No, not 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 I as well. Uh, do you think he's lawful evil? I think he might be lawful evil. That's why we don't uh, like him. If he's
2: evil, he's probably lawful evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, like most rocks <laughs> and boulders. I think we can call it. A Let's game. call it a game. We'll talk to you guys. Sorry, later.
0: Dwayne.